I've been anticipating this morning for some time now. Um, And that's because I've seen God do some work in me as I've worked at becoming more prayerful. Um, But that work didn't come about because of anything I was doing or anything I did. It's come about as I began to see the active role that God plays in prayer. About six months ago, I noticed that I really wasn't praying the way God had called me to be. As a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, and most importantly, as a Christian. And this wasn't one of, like a single issue kind of thing. It, like it wasn't that I just wasn't disciplined enough, or that I didn't just know, not know what to say in prayer. Um, but rather, I felt like this was just a full-on issue with prayer. Um, this was a lot of different prayer things rolled into one. I didn't feel like I was praying often enough. That was one of them. I didn't feel like I was praying with great hope that God would move. I didn't feel like I was praying like I was supposed to. And I became annoyed at that. Um, I didn't feel like I was able to pray the way I needed to for God, who's dwelling in a heavenly temple, to hear me. And to make it worse, I would hear about or read about the prayer life of other people um, that have really vibrant prayer lives and think, i got to get on top of this i got to get on top of this. But the more I tried to work it out, the more I would get frustrated. Uh, and I'm not alone. Many of you, I'm guessing, are hyped that we're doing this series on prayer because you want to get better at prayer. You want to be better at it. You want to know what it's like to plead with the Lord of the universe and see the hand of God move. You want to see friends and family believe in the gospel. You want to see sin put to death in your own life. You want to see people healed of sickness You want to see your town become a place that Jesus is worshipped. And as bad as you want to experience all of that, you keep running into difficulty. And perhaps worst of all is that we're commanded to pray. And we know that God tells us to pray, and we want to obey God, but but when we fall short of what He's called us to, we just get frustrated. And and our failure can be so bad in this, that we begin to wonder if being good at prayer is even possible. And so if we're being honest, prayer oftentimes feels very unfair. It feels like God is commanding us to do something that should bring us great joy. But that task seems impossible. And I would suspect that that's a lot of us. That, we all, that a lot of us feel that weight today. And so prayer sounds great. But the call God has placed on it to do it just seems unfair. So some of you know that until last year, I managed security in an international seafood corporation as my day job. Um, My job entailed overseeing a 24-7 security operation that included facilities ranging from production lines to executive offices and everything in between. And so as manager of that site, phone calls... Uh, immediately came to me anytime anything was was wrong, and I was expected to to make it right. And I'll never forget a call I got one Saturday morning because it just ended up seeming so unfair. Um, The night before, a new employee that was really anxious to do a good job had locked dozens of doors that he was not supposed to. Um, Some of these were, were coat closets that didn't matter. Okay, and, and some of them were conference rooms that could be worked around because there were other conference rooms. But several of them were executive offices 
that needed to be available for every whim of their occupant. Um, this shouldn't be a problem, though, because surely this facility, um, you know, big business would have keys for all of the doors, right? I mean, surely they would have that. Well, I learned that Saturday that that was wrong. The keying system was outdated and had not been maintained. And so my employees spent the next two days digging through every box of old, unlabeled keys we could find in hopes of opening up all of the doors. Most of them opened. Four didn't. It should tell you something that I remember exactly how many did not. As we tried key after key in these locks, these doors would not open. And we knew, deep down, we knew that if we could find the right key, if we could insert it at the right angle, if we could turn it in, at the, in the right direction with the right amount of pressure, then it would open. But hours passed, and more hours passed. My employees clocked in, and my employees clocked out. I would get updates, and the doors did not unlock. We tried every key we had, literally hundreds of them. And none of them would open these doors. None of them. As we worked these keys, though, we knew more and more that if we found the right key that, and everything went right, they would open. But these locks were going to receive nothing less than the perfect key. If you've ever resolved to become more prayerful, you likely have met difficulty like that. You try and you try, but you can't find the right way to do it. You turn the key, but the door won't open. Okay, we face doors that don't seem to want to unlock, and they prohibit us from praying. Today, I'm going to talk to you about a few of these challenges, but the challenges to prayer aren't going to be the main focus of what I say today. My main focus today is to show you that the answer to improving your prayer life is not a better list, it's not a more disciplined approach, and it's not a quieter prayer closet. All of those things can be good and helpful, but they simply don't compare to what I'm about to tell you. See, here at Seven Mile Road, we believe that God himself is the good news, okay? We say that God is the good news when it comes to conquering sin. We say that God is the good news when it comes to your salvation. We say that God is the good news when it comes to loving your spouse, we say that God is the good news. You'll hear it over and over. And today I want to show you that this is never more true than when we come to pray. And as we do this, I'm going to acknowledge that you're correct if you think that you don't have the right words for prayer. I'm going to acknowledge that you're correct if you think that, that you probably don't have enough faith right now for God to answer your prayer. I'm, I'm going to acknowledge that you're correct if you think that prayer is just unfair. Uh, if you think that, we're going to work on it, but for right now, it's unfair for you. You and I are unable to get prayer right, but God is not, and that is the good news. Because God is who He is, He raises your prayers far beyond where they ought to be, how they ought to be, and where they ought to land. Prayer is not the door that won't unlock because you don't have the right key. The triune God does not leave you to this unfair task by yourself when he says to pray. Instead, the persons of the Trinity, 
are working to make your prayers better. The Spirit is aligning them with the will of God. The Son is perfecting your prayers and petitioning the Father for you. And the Father is eagerly waiting to answer your prayers. So let's begin by praying for a moment, and then we'll get down to business. Father, we acknowledge that we struggle with prayer. Oftentimes, we don't know what to say. We struggle to believe that you would even hear us and that you would want to answer. So I pray that that your spirit would come and do work in us today. That puts all those lies to death and instead causes us to hope and trust in you, knowing that you move and that you move mightily for your people. I pray you would make much of yourself today and that you would stir up in us great affection and gratitude for you being who you are. Be good to us in this time. I beg you would. Amen. A few weeks ago, there was a a July 4th party at Trafton Park uh, for Malden's Ward 6 residents. It's on the other side of the city. Um, And my apartment, Mariah and I's apartment, is across the street uh, from where the the party was going to be going on. And we're constantly trying to find ways that we can meet our neighbors um, around here. So it was a no-brainer that we would be able to walk down our stairs, cross the street for whatever fun they had and whatever free food was going on. It was a no-brainer. We were going to go over there and try to meet people. But, but we gained even more excitement, or at least I did, um, when I learned that there were going to be uh, age-specific races taking on, uh, going on those days um, for children. See, there were races for kids up to probably age 10 or 12, but most important to us was the first race for two and under girls. See, there was a two and under five-yard dash that was going to be taking place that day. And upon hearing of that five-yard dash, it quickly occurred to me that my nine-month-old daughter, Naomi, should participate. Now, why should she participate? You're probably asking. I'll tell you why. It's because she's nine months old. If she was to win this year, it would mean she had a chance at a three-peat. She could win as a nine-month-old, a one-year one and nine-month-old, and a two-year and nine-month-old. Tell me that wouldn't be awesome. It would, right? I'm seeing head shaking. Y'all are feeling it. All right? So, so with that, we set our, our eyes on her winning um, three annual five-yard dashes before she was three years old. Now, Naomi is a pretty good crawler at this point in her life. So I started crafting some strategies. All right, so we were going to keep her on the outside lanes so that she wouldn't have as much distraction. All right, and we also knew that some things were just going to have to go right for this to happen. Okay, so some of the other kids, the older kids, were going to have to fall down. And I was okay with that. In fact, we might even need a pile up, in the, preferably in the middle lanes, so it would include more people. Um, and maybe the early start time would keep participation levels low. So we had this strategy, and, but we also knew we needed a carrot to dangle. All right, so we had James Wynn, Naomi's best buddy from downstairs, at the finish line. All right, so we thought we had it all figured out. I'm saying we as if Mariah was really included in this insanity. It was really me. So I had it all figured out. It was the perfect setup. And then the race started. 
Immediately, Naomi made a quick move toward the finish line, covering perhaps six inches. But she didn't quite cross the starting line before something happened. She realized she didn't know what to do. So she retreated. She, she turned and quickly crawled back to my feet and reached for me to pick her up. The chance at the three-peat evaporated. Now, Naomi, of course, had no idea what was really going on. So she was more than happy to just eat the purple participation ribbon. Um, we're still talking through this for next year. Um, but the truth is that her attempt at the five-yard dash bears a lot of resemblance um, to many of our attempts at prayer. Minus the satisfaction of the participation ribbon. Um, we make the first move when we go to pray. We sit down and we can put our phone on silent. But then we oftentimes don't know what to say. Okay, we get to a quiet place, but we just don't have the words to then fill this quiet room with words to our Father. And it paralyzes our prayer lives. Suddenly, all of our good intentions are done. They're just done. We quit moving in the right direction because we simply don't know what to pray. Now, this problem isn't exclusive to you, and it isn't exclusive to me. John Bunyan, who is different than Paul Bunyan, because somebody's thinking that right now, was a great Puritan pastor, and, and he was the author of Pilgrim's Progress. And he said it like this, There is no man nor church in the world that can come to God in prayer, but by the assistance of the Holy Spirit. And I read that, and I said, That's it, John Bunyan. Because of our sin, there's just too much between us and God for this prayer thing to work. We need help. We need help knowing what to pray and knowing how to pray it. We need the Holy Spirit to move us towards prayer and towards pleading with God. It's not just you, and it's not just me. And it's not just John Bunyan either that needed help. Even the Apostle Paul, who planted a bunch of churches who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and who had the risen Christ actually appear to him, needed help. In Romans 8.26, Paul says it like this. This is the verse we read a minute ago, but I'll read it to you again. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now hear this. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Even Paul and those working with him did not know what to pray. You heard it. He says it there. For we did not know, not know what to pray for as we ought. He just doesn't know. Like you and me, he doesn't know the will of God. He doesn't know the mind of God. And so Paul needs the Spirit to help. And we need the Spirit to help us too. And there's good news in that because the Spirit actually does what we need. Okay, the words around Paul's confession of not knowing what to pray, show us that the answer to our not knowing what to pray is, is God himself. It's not a bigger list that we keep, we keep adding to. What we need to know when we come to pray is that God himself is working in us to bring about the right things, the right words. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. You and I may not know the will of God, but the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit dwells in you as you believe. 
He dwells in us to make sure that our prayers are aligned with the will of God. That doesn't mean that prayer that happens in in your mind is automatically the will of God. What it does mean, though, is that your prayers are being shaped by the Spirit of God living in you. So that when they leave you, they bear His will. The Spirit takes your prayers and conforms them to the will of God so that they are always answered. Always. And so the weakness of your prayers is being overcome deep in your soul through the work of the Holy Spirit in you. And what this means is that while we should strive to pray rightly, while we should strive to know God's character and have our prayers be reflective of who He is, we can also be certain that our words and what we pray for is not inadequate. God being who He is, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, ensures that your prayers are about the right things. Rather than being crippled by the possibility that we could pray the wrong thing, we we ought to be encouraged that the Holy Spirit is aligning our prayers to the will of God. And I know that's different than a how-to manual, but my work today is not going to be to tell you what to say or how to say it. Instead, I get to point you towards the triune God who works in us, helping us to pray and to pray well. He perfects our prayers and He answers them. The Holy Spirit is living in us to overcome the weakness in us. And He's dwelling in us so that we might pray the will of God. So that that He can pray the will of God on our behalf. The very nature of the Holy Spirit, the very fact that He is who He is, enables God-ordained and approved prayer to happen from your heart and your mouth. That's exciting. To His core... The Holy Spirit is making much of Jesus. That's what He's about. And for your prayer life, that means that He seeks to make much of Jesus in you and in your prayer life. So so today, let's cast off the burden of not knowing what to pray and instead rest in the work of the Holy Spirit in our prayer lives. His being who He is means that we get perfect answers to our every prayer. Now, Once prayers leave our our hearts or minds or or mouths, they still have to come before God, though, to be heard. Like, we we know that. Um, And while it's true that God is everywhere and that nothing escapes His notice, it's also true that our God is dwelling in this heavenly temple where His glory is on full blast in ways we can't conceive. So the next problem we face uh, is, is how our prayers get there. How do our prayers get to God? That's what we need to know now. How do my minuscule, already had to get corrected by the Holy Spirit prayers, come before the Father so that He might answer them? Now next week, Pastor Brent is going to preach to us on how Jesus' work on the cross allows us to come before God. But for now, I'm going to take a little bit different of an approach to that by focusing on the fact that Jesus Himself is praying for you and for me on our behalves. See, in life, one of the truly special things we can do for people is pray for them. Uh, Most people, whether they acknowledge God or not, appreciate prayer. Um, In in fact, I find it to be one of the the easiest and and most straightforward ways of of engaging unbelievers with the gospel is when they're struggling to pray for them. It's just a beautiful way to do that. And and even the most hardened souls find peace and comfort in that. 
if you've been following, even Christopher Hitchens, an adamant and very public atheist, has acknowledged his appreciation of prayer as he's fighting cancer. And, and so as a people, we just tend to appreciate the prayers of others. And most of us are overjoyed when someone looks us in the eye and says, I've prayed for you. That's a big deal for us. So imagine this. The Son of God is praying for you. He has prayed for you in the past. And He prays for you now. And He'll continue praying for you in the future. Jesus is a praying member of the Trinity. Always communicating with the Father. So, so knowing that, we might wonder what his prayers look like. So I'm, I'm going to give you a few excerpts from one in, in John 17. Now, this was a prayer that Jesus prayed when he was on earth for us. He said, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. yours. He's, he's talking to, to God the Father. And, and he makes sure to include not only those that are sitting there with him then, But those of us now, by saying this, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So even then, he's praying for you. And and he continues in that passage and says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. And then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. So we see Jesus in John 17 praying for us, and he's praying for things like like that we would persevere in the name of God and that we would be kept from Satan. See, Jesus is praying for you, and Jesus is praying for me. And he did not stop praying um, once he ascended to heaven either. Um, Paul tells us in Romans that Jesus prays for us now. This is Romans 8, 34. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. You are being prayed for by Jesus. The writer of Hebrews confirms it, writing, Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him, to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus is praying for you. Not only is Jesus praying for you, He's praying perfectly for you and me at this moment. He's doing so in the heavenly temple of God. See, in in Hebrews goes on a few verses later to say, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God, looking to His left as He prays to the Father for you. Petitioning Him for all of your needs, all of your hopes and desires. Petitioning Him that all of the benefits of the salvation He secured for you on the cross actually take fruit in your life, take root in your life. See, your prayers do not come to God the Father from a place of little importance. Your prayers are brought before the Father from the most valuable, most glorious, most powerful of all. This is no pesky and anonymous blogger 
complaining about a government official. This is not that. This is not WikiLeaks. This is the Son of God looking to His left, to God the Father, and praying for you. See, this is the one who upholds the universe by the word of His power. He actually sits there to the right hand of God the Father and speaks to Him about you. And because Jesus is God, and because of His perfect atonement and sacrifice... His prayers are necessarily perfect too. They're not off the mark. He's the most rigidly God-glorifying prayer you could hope for ever. And my prayers and your prayers reach God the Father through the prayer work of God the Son, Jesus Christ. And because He's God, constantly praying for you and for me and taking our prayers and perfecting them and petitioning them for uh, presentation to the Father, Because Jesus is perfectly praying, and because of His perfect sacrifice, you can count on your prayers being answered. They're answered. It's that simple. So let's cast off the burden of not knowing whether or not our prayers are heard, and instead rest in the work of God the Son in our prayer life. His being who He is means you get a perfect answer To every prayer. Now at this point, we can know that our prayers are perfect. We can know that the Spirit is aligning them with the will of God. He's doing work in us to do that. Um, We can know that Jesus is interceding for us, presenting our prayers to God, the Father. And and we can know that that means we've got unimaginable access. Um, But we still might ask, what happens to our prayers then? Questions that can come out of that are, can God answer my prayers? Will God want to answer my prayers? And how will he answer my prayers? So I'm just going to take a minute and go right at those. And and so to begin that, I want to state rather directly that God the Father is able to answer your prayers. Okay, he spoke the world into existence. To this moment, he's chosen to uphold it providentially making sure that it spins rightly, that it tilts rightly for it to be 85 degrees in here right now. Um, He's able to do as he wishes, okay? And, And we should never doubt that. Even Job, suffering in ways beyond our ability to comprehend, realized that God's power never needs to be questioned. Dan read it earlier, but I'm going to read this text again. And bear in mind that Job was under intense suffering as, as he said these words. Um, suffering that's unimaginable to us. But still, he was resolved in this. Job 12, 13, forward. With God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, None can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away stripped and judges he makes fools. He looses the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. 
He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and He destroys them. He enlarges nations and leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in a pathless waste. They grope in the dark without light. And He makes them stagger like a drunken man. See, everything might have been going wrong for Job, but he knew that it wasn't because God wasn't able. Alright? So God is very able to answer your prayers. I want you to know that today. There are no confines to His ability or His might, and nothing escapes His reach. God's ability to move is unmatched and inexhaustible. And not only that, God the Father is eager to answer your prayers. Simply put, God has granted your greatest need in Jesus' death on the cross. There's nothing you needed more than for the salvation and atonement that you receive in Jesus Christ's death. And if He has not withheld His Son from you, why would He withhold other blessings from you? He won't. Working from that, there's no reason that he would withhold your far lesser needs and far lesser desires. He won't withhold. As Jesus said in Luke 11, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? He won't. That's silly. Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God the Father gave His Son on the cross, and He has given you the Holy Spirit to dwell in you. There's nothing He treasures more than them. So there's nothing else He would hold back. Nothing. And on top of that, God the Father loves you deeply. As shown by the giving of His Son. In fact, He loves with such a depth that with 10,000 years you'll have no idea. It won't even come close to the limits of that. And this love means that He longs to grant His people the greatest desires of their hearts. My hero of the faith, Jonathan Edwards, wrote it like this. And therefore, nothing that Christians need, nothing that they ask of God, nothing that their desires can extend themselves to, nothing that their capacity can contain, no good that can be enjoyed by them is so great, so excellent, that God begrudges it to them. Seven Mile Road, let's cast off the burden of not knowing whether our prayers will be answered. Instead, let's rest in the eagerness of God the Father to answer your prayers. His being who He is as a loving Father means you get a perfect answer to every prayer. I hope that you're today able to see that our hope for becoming prayerful people lays not in us, but in God. You remember those locked doors I told you about about 30 minutes ago? The beginning of the sermon? You remember the four that that didn't unlock? Um, No matter how many attempts we made, they wouldn't unlock. But what if someone had been on the other side of one of them? 
What if after we had sat on the outside of the door working to open it endlessly, apparently they had fallen asleep on the couch or something. What, what if suddenly when no key was being tried, the knob turned and the door swung open, all of our effort on the outside was unsuccessful, but a second's movement from the inside caused it to swing wide open. Suddenly, everything would have changed. The unfair task of opening a locked door without its key would have been taken away. Today, because God is who He is, He raises your prayers far beyond what they ought to be, where they ought to be heard from, and where they ought to land. Prayer is not the door that won't unlock because you don't have the right key. God Himself is the key to your prayers being answered. And you and I may not know when or if our prayers are not perfectly matched to God's will when they leave our tongue. And we may not know that the work of the Holy Spirit, um, what the work of the Holy Spirit does in those prayers exactly. And we may not know exactly what perfecting and interceding Christ is doing before He presents them to the Father. But we can know that God will not answer our prayers with anything less than the perfect answer. It's just who He is. We pray with me? Father, we ask today that You would make us a praying people who lean not on our own understanding, on our own thinking, on our own way of petitioning you. But instead, cause us to hope in you and in who you are and in your work in our lives to make us people that pray. People that pray with great faith that you will move. I beg that you will encourage us to that. That when we sit to pray, we will know that you are there and that you are active doing work in us so that you can be glorified in our prayers and so that we can have great joy knowing that you are a God who answers every prayer. Grant us that grace. I beg you would. Amen.